Welcome to the Story Night Podcast, a place where we share hearts, our hurts, and how God's wonder intersects with the story of our lives. A ministry of Calvary Mac. Here's our host, Jessica Campbell. Hi, ladies, and welcome back to the Story Night Podcast. One of my favorite things is getting to connect with new friends and new women, especially when they come to me by way of a previous Story Night speaker. So if you happen to listen to episode 10, kind of way back when we first started this podcast, you heard my cousin Emily. And Emily is now might officially be hired as my Story Night recruitment officer of some sort because she has just sent me so many amazing women. And and so I'm so excited to have Melanie here. So Melanie, would you just give us your brief life hello introduction to the listeners and then we'll dive into your story after that? Yeah, absolutely. I am honored to have a chance to tell my story and be on this podcast. So I appreciate you inviting me on here. My name is Melanie Woods. I've been married to my husband, Casey, for, let's see, seven years now. We are an Air Force family. We have three kiddos, age five, four, and almost two, and then a fourth one on the way. So we we stay plenty busy. This is our first year homeschooling as well. I used to be a teacher, so I'm kind of jumping right back into that mixed in with mom life and it's messy and beautiful and we stay plenty busy. <laughs> I imagine so. I'm just listening to the ages and, and having a fourth on the way, just such a blessing. And, you know, it's so easy for us as listeners to hear that and think, oh my gosh, how wonderful, you know, she, she must be that lady that found her husband so perfectly and has this great marriage and got pregnant whenever she wanted to. And they get to just have this beautiful little happy family. And it just sometimes can sound like a fairy tale when we get just the brief introduction. But as we will learn, and as you've probably guessed, if she's on the Story Night podcast, she's going to be sharing a little bit more. So Melanie, thank you for being willing to open up your story. And I would just like to invite you now to kind of tell us how you got to where you are today. Absolutely. I grew up in a Christian home. We were in, I'd say Oklahoma is my home, my hometown. We moved around a lot, but kind of landed in Oklahoma the longest. So I claim that one. (laughs) And I went to, went off to college in a tiny Arkansas town majored in early childhood education. And I was just convinced that when I walked across the stage and got my diploma, I would also have a ring on my finger. And when I did not, I was terrified that I was going to spend my life alone. (laughs) And then I got a job in a smaller town in Arkansas and started teaching elementary there. Went on a couple dates with some people, but had just kind of given up at that point that I wasn't going to find anybody. And I was going to be a single teacher for the rest of my life, and I just needed to be happy with that. When I was little, though, I used to always dress up as a bride for Halloween. And then for career day, I always dressed up as a mom. So those were two things that I, like, that's what I wanted to do was get married, and I wanted to be a mom. College was just kind of a, that's where you go to meet your husband, so you can, you know, accomplish those things. And that's not the way my story went. So teaching in this tiny town and realizing that prospects in a tiny town are not super great when you're uh, single and trying to meet somebody. So I turned to Christian Mingle, if you don't know, it's a dating website. 
and started scouring through some lists. And I remember seeing a picture of this Air Force guy. And I just, I, I don't know what it was. I just had a feeling of, I need to meet this guy. So I sent him, I don't know what it was, a smile or something, just kind of a nudge to like, hey, I want to talk to you. And then lo and behold, he got on a couple of weeks later to, I think, close down his account. And that's when he decided, okay, I'll go on one last date. And then that last date for him, my first date for me on there, turned into a five and a half hour date. We closed down the Starbucks. <laughs> and then we found out that he had known my aunt because my aunt worked at the college that he attended in Oklahoma. And then my brother is also in the Air Force. And they went to ROTC together. So there were all these like little connections of like, wait a second, you know, my aunt and my brother and none, like nobody has told me about you before now. So yeah, everything just clicked with him. And I actually broke up with him. I think it was like five, five months into our dating relationship because it was just too good to be true. And I think it scared me, but the Lord had a plan and brought us back together. And we were married 10 months after our first date. And then life started moving real quick after that. <laughs> I was thrown into the, the military wife life and had no idea what anything meant. Air Force lingo, military lingo in general is like a completely different language with all the acronyms and just the job aspects. <laughs> I was struggling to learn everything I needed to learn on top of just figuring out how to be a wife in a new town where I was away from all of my support group and didn't know anything about what was going on around me. It felt like we moved to Clovis, New Mexico. It's a tiny town. There's an Air Force base and a couple grocery stores and not much else. So I was in the middle of nowhere. You know, as you're talking about being a military wife, just that phrase right there, there are so many listeners that know exactly what that means. And so many listeners that have no idea. They've never been in a military family in any way. I, I don't know if, you know, before we kind of go into some of the next chapters, if you could, I don't know, maybe just paint a little bit of a picture for those who just don't understand the the uniqueness of being a military wife and the the joys and the struggles. There's it's just it's it's so special. I mean, for one, I just want to pause and and thank your husband and for anyone listening oh, who you. is in the military or who is a family member of somebody in the military because yes. your sacrifice might be might look different, but it's not any less valuable. Right. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of moving, I think. That's kind of, that's well known, but there's so much that goes into moving, going to, you're starting over, but as a military wife, you're kind of expected to plug in quickly because you have your built-in you know, spouse group and other military wives. And sometimes the connection is just, it's just not there. So you're still scrambling to, okay, well, if I don't connect with other military wives, where, where am I going to connect and how am I going to you know, start my, my support group? Like I said, it seems like everybody kind of has a different language depending on the job and the aircraft or the branch of military you're in everything just seems to be just a little bit different and then your spouse is leaving and you can't you know you can't do anything about it when they leave you just have to say I love you and I'm praying for you and I'll see you when you get back 
Yeah, so it's, it was a different, different aspect for sure. And it was one that I think I always kind of, I don't know, maybe because my brother knew from the get-go that he was going to be in the Air Force. It was like, well, I'm going to be an Air Force wife or just a military wife in general. You know, that was something that was appealing to me. Maybe because I, I just love my big brother and I think the world of him. So I wanted, you know, somebody like him, I guess. But when I found an Air Force guy, I was very excited. <laughs> Once we got to Clovis, I didn't have a job right away. And we kind of got there right in the middle of school. So I was struggling to, you know, what am I going to do? Just sit around and twiddle my thumbs all day. I've got to do something. Thankfully, I got plugged into a really good group of ladies that just kind of surrounded me from the get-go. And looking back now, I realize how rare that is and how much of a blessing that was to have those people that came alongside me and showed me what it's like to be a wife in general, but then to be a military wife. And on top of that, be a Christian military wife, which is, I feel like another different aspect because sometimes it's not as, I guess, common. So that's, you know, a different struggle in itself, just with the military, military life in general, you're constantly rubbing up against, against different battles. So shortly after we got there, I guess it was about six months after we got there, I started to feel just a little bit off. And I've always had issues with my cycles growing up. Everything was so much more painful to me than what my friends were dealing with, it seemed like. I was always so nauseous because of the pain that I felt like I could not function. So I would go home from school early and lay in bed all day. And that was just, that was my normal. So I just kind of figured that maybe I was being a wimp about it. My friends were handling it better than I was. And through several surgeries, we found out that I had endometriosis. And my doctor at one point sat me down and said, if you want children, it's going to be, it's going to be really difficult for you. And you need to be prepared that you may have to do several rounds of IVF. And even then it might not happen. There's just a lot going on in there. So I went into marriage knowing this probably isn't going to happen, you know, for a long time. And it may be 10 years before we welcome a baby. and we didn't know if that was going to be a biological baby or through adoption. We just, we had no idea. So six months into our marriage, when I started feeling lousy, I kind of hoped that I, it was because I was pregnant and not because I was having more hormonal issues. So I went to a doctor and she looked at all my history and said, there's no way, there's no way you're pregnant. I'm not going to waste my time and your time and do a pregnancy test. It's just, it's not going to happen. I can tell you're upset about it. So here's some strong antidepressants for you to take. Don't try to get pregnant while you're taking them because it's not safe. If you do become pregnant, it can cause a whole lot of issues for the baby. And I, okay, I guess that's what we'll do. So I went home and I had been taking pregnancy tests for like two weeks at this point and they were all negative. And I was just extremely frustrated because I knew something was not right in my body and I felt like nobody was listening to why or wanting to help me figure out why. So I go home, have the antidepressant sitting on my dresser. And I just remember sitting on the bed and just staring at the bag like, this is what's going to happen now is I'm going to be on antidepressants for the rest of my life now because I'm in denial about this. And I, I prayed about it. And I just I could not, I could not take those pills. So I went and threw them in the trash can and just decided I was just going to keep taking pregnancy tests and (laughs) try to figure it out on my own. And then lo and behold, I found a kind doctor 
that said, you know what, let's run a blood test because something's not right. Even if you're not pregnant, it sounds like something else is really off. So I did a blood test. I remember going to lunch with a friend and just trying to distract myself, waiting for that phone call. Never came, never came. So I got in the car to head home. And that's when I got the call. And the nurse said, Hey, Melanie, we ran your blood test. Everything looks okay. Your progesterone's really low, but your test is positive. And I said, excuse me, what's positive? <laughs> and she said, you're the pregnancy test we ran is positive. You're absolutely pregnant. And I just remember bawling. I pulled over on the side of the road because I could not see through my tears anymore. And I think I sat there for a good 10, 15 minutes. Just, I don't understand how this happened because we were told it wouldn't happen. And I honestly didn't know what to do other than just sit there and cry and pray for a healthy baby. And please let me not lose this baby kind of thing. And then I went home and told Casey and we just, we were like deer in headlights. And the nurse told us your progesterone is dangerously low. You're probably going to miscarry, but go to the pharmacy and pick up your prescription for progesterone and we'll see what happens. So we, right from the get go, I feel like I was, I was super excited, but I also got punched in the gut with, Hey, you're probably going to miscarry, but we're going to give you something anyways. And you know, maybe you'll hold on to this, this baby. So off we went to the pharmacy, picked up those awful pills that make you really sick. If anybody's been on progesterone, you know that they just, it just doesn't feel good to be on progesterone. And then about, I don't know, a week and a half after that, I started hurting. Um, I, it was on one side, you know, um, just really painful. I couldn't lay on that side. And every day it got a little bit worse. And I got to the point where I felt like I, I could not stand up straight anymore. It hurt so bad. So I finally called the nurse hotline and told her what was going on. And she said, you've got to go to the ER right now. And she said, I need you to not hang up the phone with me and get in the car and go there because I need to know that you're there. I thought, okay, this is serious. I don't know what it is, but this is not good. So I told my husband, we got to the ER as fast as we could. And I just remember being in triage and everybody was moving quickly, which is never something that (laughs) you really want to happen because you know something's really wrong if nurses and doctors are in a flurry around you. So I was checked into the ER quickly. They started running tests and did an ultrasound. And the doctor came in and said, it looks like this is a tubal pregnancy and you need to be in surgery within the hour because you're bleeding internally. We don't know how long you've been bleeding internally, but your pelvis is completely filled with blood right now. And that's why you're hurting so bad. And I was absolutely crushed. I remember my husband crawling into that teeny tiny bed with me and just holding me and just praying. And at that point, we didn't know what to pray. It was more of a, Lord, please prepare us for what's ahead because this hurts and this stinks. We were just, we were devastated. That was something I wanted more than anything. And I felt like I had it and that it was being ripped away. And as I was being rolled back to the operating room, I just remember feeling so angry and so frustrated with God of just, I thought you were a God of love. You know, why, why would you do this to me? Why would, why is this happening kind of thing? And as I rolled back one, I rolled past one last nurse's station through all the different corridors they take you through. 
And she was playing a song uh, by Meredith Andrews and it's, it's called not for a moment. And it was talking about, I will never forsake you. And even in the dark, I was there and not for a moment will I forsake you. And I clung to those words. It, it kind of grounded me in that moment of, okay, God is a God of love, but we live in a world that's it's full of sin and hurt. And you know, that's why Christ came is because he knew we would run into those battles and have that pain, but he he's the hope through all of that pain. And I clung to that. He's not going to forsake me. He's right here next to me. He's crying with me. He's, but he's my anchor. And I remember waking up from that surgery, a nurse coming in and asking me what my symptoms were, how I was feeling. If the bleeding had started yet, I said no. And I still feel pregnant. And she just kind of, oh, honey. And, you know, patted me like, yeah, you've got to let that go kind of thing. I did not want to take any pain medication after surgery. I refused everything except for Tylenol because I knew that was the only thing safe to take during pregnancy. And I was just, I was holding on to hope as tightly as I could that there was still a little life inside of me. And I remember going to our two-day checkup, I think, after surgery to make sure the HCG was dropping and I just remember walking past all these women with their baby bumps and their ultrasounds. And there I am trying to make sure that the HCG is plummeting instead of rising. And there's just, there's so many emotions that come with that. Yeah, I don't even know how to describe that feeling. It's just awful. And if you felt it, you know. So we, I wanted to run out of that waiting room and that's I feel like that's pretty much what we did. I just put my blinders on and got out of there as fast as we could and went home to lay on the couch and cry some more. (laughs) And I remember at one point praying out loud on the couch, Lord, if this baby is gone, I, I need to know. And I, I need to start grieving. I need to, I need to let it go and just trust in you and your plan and what you have for me next, whatever that looks like. But if this baby is still here, I need you to show me that that they're still there (laughs) and, you know, help me be a good vessel for you to bring this life into the world. And then a couple hours later, a nurse called with my HCG results and she said, your levels are rising beautifully. Everything looks great. Pregnancy is progressing just fine. I said, are you sure? Because I just had surgery for an ectopic pregnancy. She immediately got flustered and said, I don't see that in your charts. I just see your HPG numbers. They're doubling. I need to go check with the doctor. And she quickly hung up. And from that point on, I was just, I knew, okay, there's, <laughs> there is still a baby in there. And I, I am not, I'm not letting go. And then I think it was three or four days after that, we were supposed to go in for an ultrasound to make sure they didn't need to go back in and do another surgery and um, just make sure everything was on track healing wise. I remember sitting in the waiting room, my doctor kept coming out and bothering the receptionist and the nurses of, hey, have you gotten Melanie Woods back yet? No, not yet. We're working through our patients just like we always do. Here she'll be, you know, third person down or just basically telling them to go away. We'll get to her kind of thing. And he came out over and over was just super antsy. And he finally came over to us in the waiting room and said, I got the pathology report back from what we removed from your ovary. 
and it was not fetal tissue. It was not a baby. And he said, I think you might be surprised by what you find on the ultrasound. So we went to the ultrasound room. Lo and behold, there was our little baby hanging on with a strong, strong heartbeat. And yeah, we had been through a roller coaster of emotions for two weeks. And then seeing that little heartbeat on that screen was amazing. And I still can't explain it because the doctor told us with all of that bleeding internally, the surgery, the low progesterone, he said, your baby probably had a 1% chance of survival. You know, it's such a reminder that the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, the God of the day is the same God. He didn't, he didn't change. It's not that, oh, he used to perform miracles, but he doesn't, you know, doesn't really do that anymore. Yeah. The medical miracles that I've known or witnessed or walked with somebody else through are so mind-blowing. Yeah. He's so much bigger than statistics. Absolutely. Yeah. If our listeners don't have tears running down their cheeks or chills going up their body by now. <laughs> <laughs> and we're we're really still at the beginning of the story. <laughs> we are. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Um, that was, that was our little Levi. He's our first, our first miracle baby. And the rest of the pregnancy was uneventful, completely normal. He came on his due date and it was, it was very uneventful, normal labor and delivery and brought him home. And I was thrown into motherhood very quickly. It felt like I had somebody tell me, before we had him, when you have a baby, it's kind of like a grenade goes off in every single area of your life. And it's not a bad thing. It just flips everything you know, kind of upside down and you're left just kind of, okay, things literally changed overnight. Like this little person was here, but not here. And now they're actually here and everything's completely different. So I was trying to navigate all of that. And then my husband left when Levi was about six weeks old for his very first deployment and he was gone for three and a half, four months. So it was just me and this brand new baby trying to figure out motherhood and sleepless nights on top of my husband's first deployment. And that's when I started realizing something wasn't quite right with me. I had a lot of anxiety, um, a lot of depression started coming in and I just, it started to feel very dark. And I felt like I was always, I was always frantic, you know, that something horrible was going to happen somehow. And I had no idea that postpartum anxiety was a thing. I did not know that that's what postpartum depression looked like. I always thought of depression as you're either suicidal or you're just crying all the time. You know, to me, that was what depression was. It wasn't this, I guess, this internal darkness or struggle that I was dealing with. I didn't think that's what it was. And looking back on it now, I think it was probably in denial because a lot of times as a mom, as a military wife, just as a woman in general, we kind of, we're really hard on ourselves. And it's a lot of, you can do better. Other people have been through worse, you know, pull yourself up kind of thing. So I really kind of beat myself up over that. And it was kind of like a well, if you were a better Christian, then you wouldn't be struggling with these dark thoughts. You know, you're allowing the darkness to seep in and you know better than that. Just, you know, just stop it. And that's not, 
not how that works. If we had that power, I think the world would be a totally different place, but we don't have that power. And yeah, I floundered and struggled, but I kept it to myself and I didn't want to tell anybody because I didn't want to be a burden to somebody else. So I struggled through that deployment. My husband got home and I think it was about a month, two months after he got home, we found out that we were pregnant again. And I was overwhelmed because Levi was, he was young (laughs) and I was not ready for another baby. And just the emotional turmoil that I was in, I could not fathom taking care of two babies and having my husband leave again at some point down the road. So I, I wasn't, I don't want to say I was upset about it, but I was having a hard time processing it. And I think we knew for about a week before we had a miscarriage and I was, I, I made it my fault because it was, well, you didn't accept this child and that's why you lost this baby. So I, I just kept heaping guilt on myself of you're not handling your emotions right. And now you didn't want a baby. So now you don't get a baby. And looking back on it now, I, I can see how hard I was being on myself and how my thoughts just, they had no merit to them. They they were just so, so far out there, but it's really easy to kind of bury yourself in those thoughts when you're in that place, especially when you're not talking to anybody else about those thoughts and you're just kind of putting yourself down further and further. And then I guess it was two months later, we got pregnant again. <laughs> and this time everything everything was fine. Um, Levi was still he was still pretty young. He was about six or seven months old. And then my husband promptly left for another deployment after we found out. And the anxiety again took another swing at me. And I was terrified that I was going to lose that baby without my husband close by. And it was going to be my fault again because I couldn't get a hold of my emotions. And I'd heard that being stressed out when you're pregnant is not good for the baby. So I was just constantly worried that I was going to hurt the baby somehow on top of trying to take care of our our younger one by myself, that pregnancy ended up being a smooth, a smooth pregnancy. My husband came home right when I hit third trimester. And three months later, we had our sweet baby girl, our fiery little redheaded Lydia came into the world very quickly. (laughs) And again, I was hit with another round of anxiety and depression. And I thought I couldn't go any further before. And that pushed me even further down. I still didn't tell anybody. I don't know if I even really talked to Casey about it because I, again, I just felt like I would be a burden to somebody or I would be admitting failure or weakness. I just, I didn't, I didn't want to bring it up to anybody. I didn't want to talk about it. And I was also so embarrassed that I was told that we would never have children. And here we are able to get pregnant quickly. And I had two miracle babies. I was struggling with depression and I had friends that were struggling with infertility and, you know, a depression that comes with that and anxiety that comes with that when I was on the other side struggling too. And I felt like I shouldn't be, you know, that was, that was wrong and pull yourself together and look at what you have and just be grateful for what you have kind of thing. I'll bet there are so many listeners that relate to that whether it's specifically to motherhood, pregnancy, or infertility, or a completely different topic. 
But the guilt over feeling a feeling that we think we shouldn't be feeling. Yes. Yes. Oh, do we do that? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Especially, I, I hear it so often, just like you mentioned earlier, within the Christian faith, well, I shouldn't feel these things. I shouldn't be, I should, you know, we just beat ourselves up for the anxiety or the depression or the anger or the jealousy or the sadness or fill in the blank. Anything that we see as negative, we feel like we have no right to feel that. We shouldn't look at all everything else that's going on in the world. How dare I think this? I must be so selfish. And then we just, oh my gosh, we tear ourselves into a thousand little pieces of guilt. And then yeah. that makes us feel worse. And then we feel guilt over that. It's like this vicious cycle. Yeah, absolutely. And I think at that point, that's when my faith really, it's when I started realizing that I knew of God, but I didn't know God, if that makes sense. I I realized I had no no foundation. And I, I was just, I was kind of overcome with, I guess, my flesh and just realizing I need a savior because I cannot... I can't overcome this. You know, I can't will it away. I have no, I don't have willpower strong enough to make this go away. I need, I need Christ and I need him in my life in a way that I have not allowed him to be in my life before. So I really see that as, I I don't know, I guess kind of as a blessing of, okay, I've, I've got to, I've got to go deeper than just surface level faith because this is this is not going to cut it. I'm not I'm not going to survive without knowing him. And I had some really good friends that really kind of walked beside me in that and I think they started to see something wasn't right with me and they were so gentle and so kind with me and I am just so thankful for women that were 5 6 years ahead of me in their motherhood journeys and just in life in general, coming alongside me and saying that you're not, you're not a failure because this is happening. You're human and let us walk beside you and love you. And I had them, I mean, they randomly showed up on my doorstep with milkshakes or a journal or, you know, just something to say, hi, I love you and I'm here and I can't fix it for you, but I'm going to hold your hand while you walk through this. I want to make sure everyone heard that. You are not a failure. You are human. Yeah. You are not a failure. You are human. Just let that sink in for a moment. And I hope everyone, you can write that on your mirror if you have to. Put it on a post-it. Put it in your in your bathroom. Put it on your car. Put it on your calendar. Put it as a text reminder that's going to just show up on your phone at 6 o'clock every night or whatever. But... You are not a failure. You are human. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm thinking back now and I say Lydia's pregnancy was super smooth and it was, but I gained so much weight with her. I'm talking like 90, 95 pounds with her. I was miserable and I could not lose it. And I like to go more the holistic natural route when I'm trying to figure out what's going on instead of just jump to medication. That's just, that's just something I've been really intrigued with. So I found a doctor that decided to run a bunch of tests because he knew okay, something's really off. You should be losing the weight instead of gaining more after baby. And it, 
there was just some weird things going on physically as well as emotionally at the time. So he found out that I, I had celiac and I had a horrible thyroid issue, which is why I gained so much weight because I was eating gluten that made me miserable and swollen. And then my thyroid was also not working on top of just pregnancy weight gain. And it just, you know, it just piled on. So I started to feel a little bit better with the help um, with thyroid and thyroid can throw everything out of whack in your body. So I think that was, you know, that was step one in my physical healing was getting that kind of ironed out. So I started to feel Started to feel better in that aspect, a little bit more, I guess, capable. And then right when I felt like I was starting to maybe see a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel with the depression and anxiety, we got orders to move. That sent me plummeting right back down into my deep, dark hole because I had no support group anymore. I moved to a brand new town in Florida and I knew nobody. And it's, it's challenging to try to meet new people when you don't feel like yourself and you feel like you don't know who you are anymore. And that's where I was at. And I didn't even know. It seemed like I forgot how to talk to people. And I was so ashamed of what I was dealing with. I didn't even want to get to know anybody. I was desperate to know people. And I feel like I've always been kind of a people person. You know, I want people around me. But I, I just kind of shut down and just closed, closed that door, kind of closed myself off. And two months after we moved to Florida, we found out we were pregnant again. I feel like at this part of my story, I'm always saying, and then we found out we were pregnant. And then we found out we were pregnant over and over. And Casey and I, we prayed a lot about our family. And once we started having babies, when we were told we weren't going to have babies, we just really felt conviction on our heart to not prevent something and not try to take control of that aspect of our lives and just kind of have an open hand um, with that. So we kept getting pregnant <laughs> and we, every time we praised God for the blessing of, you know, another baby, if it was one that I held on to for a couple of weeks or one that I held in my arms nine months later. And this one, caught us completely off guard. <laughs> we were trying to do a few renovations on our house. And I just remember kind of, kind of feeling iffy. So I took a test and sure enough, it popped up positive. So we started the path of going to the doctor. And because of my history, I always got really nervous in the beginning of, I don't want <laughs> you know a ruptured cyst to cause internal bleeding again. And what's going on with that? So I was always very anxious and very quick to try to get into the doctor when I saw a positive test pop up. So I went in and in the military, you have to confirm it with your military base first before they send you out to another doctor in town. So I went to just confirm it. And the nurse called me and said, your test was negative. Said, but I'm staring at five positive pregnancy tests on my counter that I took this morning and yesterday. And she said, well, maybe it's just because it wasn't first thing in the morning. Come back tomorrow morning, first thing, do it again. Okay. So I went back in and she, she pulled me aside in her office and said, your test is negative again. I said, okay, but I'm having the pregnancy symptoms. I have all the positive tests at home. I said, this has happened before with my son. 
maybe my body's just, you know, being weird. And she said, no, I, I think you need to go to urgent care right away because something's not right. And I remember her giving me a hug. And I thought, okay, she thinks something else is happening. <laughs> and I'm scared now. I'm, I don't want to do this again kind of thing. Um, so I called my husband crying. And we have two-year-old and a one-year-old at that point. I said, you, I need you because we didn't, we didn't know anybody well enough to say, Hey, can you come watch the kids? We were so new to Florida. So he loaded up the kids, <laughs> comes in being super dad. He's got a kid on each hip and Chick-fil-A and <laughs> we just kind of camped out in our little urgent care room. And I started doing all the tests that I had done before with Levi. And I just kept thinking, here we go again. This is, this is happening again. And I remember being in the ultrasound room and I was laying there in pain <laughs> and I didn't realize how bad I was hurting until they started you know, mashing on my stomach to see, I guess they were checking for different internal bleeding and blood flowing. And I immediately knew, okay, I'm bleeding internally again. And I remember thinking, I don't think anybody should be able to say I'm bleeding internally because I've felt that before. And I was, I was just crushed of yeah, this is happening again kind of thing. And the ultrasound tech said, I'm going to go talk to the doctor. Just make sure he doesn't want any more pictures. I'll be right back. And I think most, most people know that if the ultrasound tech leaves in the middle before they're done and doesn't come back for a while, it's, it's usually, to me, it felt like something more serious. You know, she knew something was majorly wrong and she wanted to go tell the doctor right away. That's what I was saying to myself when she left. So sitting on that cold, uncomfortable ultrasound table, she didn't want me to move on my own at that point. And I just, I felt so alone and the darkness felt like it was just going to just overtake me in that moment. I remember looking in the corner of the room, I saw a crumpled up, I think it was a receipt. I don't even know, just a crumpled up paper. And I don't know if I was desperate to look at something other than the white walls or the ultrasound equipment. I don't know what it was, but I hopped off of that table in my oh-so-flattering hospital gown and opened up that crumpled piece of paper. And there was a verse from Isaiah 43 that was scribbled on there. And it, it was talking about the waves will not overwhelm you and the fire will not consume you. And I just, I clung to those words of... You know, God saying, you're going to walk through fire. You're going to go through hardships, but I'm with you and it's not going to overcome you and it's not, it's not going to burn you. And I held on to that for dear life. I remember clutching that little receipt as they came in and wheeled me back to my room. And I think I held on to it for several hours after that. And then I remember the doctor coming in and saying, I'm going to hand you over to the, the women's department of the hospital. And that's when I knew, okay, I'm about to have surgery. Sure enough, the doctor came in and said, this is a tubal, you know, pregnancy, it's ectopic, and we need to operate on you now. <laughs> so within you know, a couple hours, I was moved to a different part of the hospital and they were prepping me for surgery. And my, my sweet little Lydia, who was one at the time, had offered me some of her Chick-fil-A French fries, and I happily nibbled on those. But because I nibbled on those, they had to prolong the surgery a little bit more because it wasn't safe. So 
So I remember just waiting and waiting um, to go back to surgery and the pain started to get worse and worse. And I kept you know, telling the nurse, the pain medicine's not touching my pain anymore. Something's, something's really not right. I remember the doctor calling and saying, we've got to get her back now. You know, we can't wait any longer. So the nurse you know, told me, okay, doctor wants you back there. Now say your final goodbye to your husband. We're going to you know, whiskey away kind of thing. And as I was being wheeled back, I started to feel dizzy and just really nauseous. And I started just convulsing. I don't, you know, shaking very violently. And I remember thinking, I might die right now. <laughs> I was I was terrified that it was the last time I saw my husband or the last time I saw my babies. And I just remember praying, God, take care of them. If you know, if this is my time. <laughs> to go, please take care of them. And I, everything went black after that. I don't think I even made it to the operating room before I uh, passed out. And I later found out that I, my body went into shock because the internal bleeding was so, there was just so much of it that my organs were starting to shut down in some places. And <laughs> there's a nurse that talked to me later and she said, when we wheeled you back, she said that room was silent because we weren't sure if you were going to if you were going to come out of that. And I, God brought me through that because he has, he has a plan. I don't know what it is. And, but it was, it was not, it's not my time. And I'm grateful that I get more time with my babies and Casey. I don't think I realized how close I was until the nurse told me. And I still, I still just have, that's still very fresh in my mind for sure. And afterwards, we found out that it was an ectopic and that it had ruptured and just kind of destroyed that side of my body and all the organs that you need to have babies. It had just just kind of thrown everything out of whack. And the doctor said, this, you know, this will probably hurt your chances of being pregnant again. She said, sometimes it doesn't affect it. Other times it does. We, we just don't know. So um, we prayed a lot. and you know, just decided if two kids was what God was going to give us, then we were going to be thankful for our two miracle babies and move on. And lo and behold, we got pregnant again. I think it was goodness, five months, five months after all of that, we got pregnant again. And I remember going in for an ultrasound at it was probably about five or six weeks. I wanted to make sure it wasn't an ectopic. I had lots of scar tissue at that point from the different surgeries. So I want to make sure everything was okay with that. And they couldn't find a heartbeat. And the doctor told us, we don't know if it's viable. We don't even know if it's in your uterus or if it's in your other tube. We don't know what's going to happen. And I just remember thinking, if this is in my tube, my other tube, <laughs> and it ruptures, then we might be done. So we prayed a lot cried a lot. And after about five agonizing weeks, we found out that it was a viable pregnancy and we found a heartbeat. <laughs> and that was another another smooth pregnancy that the Lord blessed us with. And our little Luke was born. And I always laugh because I say it was such a beautiful delivery, but it was probably one of the most chaotic labors and deliveries. It started with a stomach bug sweeping through our house. And my husband was so sick in the delivery room that he could not even stand up. So as I'm laboring, he's over on his little 
bench bed that I'm sure was so uncomfortable. And we were both, you know, telling each other, you can do it. It's okay. I love you. Great job. <laughs> uh, so Luke was born, yeah, he was born into a hospital room of uh, sick people, but it was, God worked through that. And I remember listening to my, my worship music and just, just feeling him so close to me. And I think that's why I say it was so beautiful because I really had nobody but God at that point to cling to. And it was just, you know, he's the best thing to cling to. And that was, that was just a beautiful, beautiful moment for me. So Melanie, as you're just describing such a journey of ups and downs, so much joy and so much trauma also, you know, I just have to pause and ask, how how was your marriage during all of this? I think so often we can get so focused on what's going on with our health or our finances or our parenting or something else. And, and no matter what we're facing, that ends up impacting our marriage in one way or another. And for a lot of people, that can be very destructive. And for other couples, it can just really strengthen their marriage. Casey, Casey was my rock through all of it. And I actually, I have a picture that I save and look at every year of the first emergency surgery that I had of him laying on this little, I don't think it was even a bed. It was a little fold out chair that he was sleeping on. And he just has the biggest smile on his face. He was a calm to my chaos through everything and just, just kind of my rock. And he has loved me so faithfully and so well through through all of it, that I, that was a huge, a huge part of my healing and a huge part of just my journey in general was knowing that he, he was, he was going to be there. He was a steady, a steady guy holding my hand through, through everything. It sounds like he was such a picture of Christ, which yeah. is really what husbands are, are called to be is just showing you God's love in a in an earthly way. Yes. For anybody listening who is either single or in a marriage where you don't feel like that's what you have, my one word of encouragement is that you can have that. God acts as your husband. And mm-hmm. so even if you don't have that that person in your life that is being your rock, Jesus is your rock. Absolutely. So after Luke was born, I continued to, I guess, be hit with the depression and anxiety. And this time it hit hard. It hit so hard that at one point I told Casey, and I need you to take the gun and I need you to hide it and not tell me where it is. And I was not, was not suicidal, but I was just having very dark thoughts of, well, the kids could be better off with anybody than me. You know, I'm, I'm not a good enough mom. I'm not a good enough wife. So if I'm gone and they have somebody else, they'll be, you know, better off kind of thing. And I didn't want to hurt myself or anybody else, but just those thoughts of, oh, they might be better off without me. It was really terrifying to think of. And I had never been in that situation before. And that's when Casey said, okay, we've, we've tried all the natural you know, herbs and supplements. We've tried, I don't know, just about everything you can think of. I think at that point, if somebody told me to stand on my head for three days straight and it would go away, I would have done it. I was just desperate for some healing and for some light in my life. It just felt so dark. 
And so we finally went to a doctor and Casey spoke for me because I, I was still so ashamed that I just couldn't. So he would, he would talk to the doctor and then the doctor would look at me and say, is that true? And I just nod my head. I just, I could not even get the words out of my mouth of this is what's happening. So I, I got on some medication and I started to, I started to come come out of it a little bit. I started to see a little bit of healing. And I always want to be careful when I talk about how I found healing in that because it's so different for everybody. And depression and anxiety can look so different. It can, there's such a broad spectrum. And for me, it was just, it was anger. You know, I could not handle the littlest situations, especially the ones that come with having small kiddos of I spilled my goldfish and I'm really upset. It was just, it would just send me through the roof. And that was not how I wanted our home to be. I didn't want our home to be such a war zone. And I didn't want my kids to think I was mad at them all the time. But that's, for me, that's how it presented itself. And I know other friends that they can look back on a moment and say, Right there. That's when, that's when I found healing. And from that day on, everything changed. And that's what I was praying for was just, God, I want that moment. And I want, you know, that just like it's gone. And I knew he could do that. And that's what I was asking him to do, but that's not, that's not what he had for me. That's, that wasn't his plan for me. And I remember when my prayer started changing to, okay, God, put me through the fire until you see yourself in me. And refine me through this, however you need to. I just want to be close to you. And I, I want to be the person that you're calling me to be kind of thing. And looking back now, I can see that slow healing. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't just a bam. Okay. You feel better. It was a very slow, gradual process of God pulling me out of that and using, just using my past experiences of, you know, I was right there with you, even when you felt so far away from me, I was right there. And that's what, that's what helped me come out of that towards the end. (laughs) Not for a moment were you forsaken. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I'm so glad you mentioned that every, every journey is a little different and Mm -hmm. there's not a one size fits all. Not only are the symptoms and experiences of depression and anxiety different for each person, but also the way to find healing. And it's not that one way is better than the other. And I've seen God heal people in so many different ways, just like you talked about. Sometimes there's that instantaneous, overnight, shocking miracle. Other times it's long and it's slow, but he's still at work. Sometimes it's through natural means. Sometimes it's through medicine. And all of it, I think we thank God for all of the different ways that there are to find support and healing. There's not just one way that God can work in your life. Right. Yeah. And I was on, I think I was on the medication for probably about three months before I decided I wanted to try to get off of it. And right when I started to wean myself off of it is when the shutdown happened last year. And looking back, it was some of the sweetest time for our family of just, 
okay, everything shut down. So we're just going to huddle together. And me coming off of the medication with literally nothing else to do and nowhere to go except be home and love my people and be loved on by them was it was very healing for me. And I had so much time to just sit at the foot of the cross and I just sit, you know, I just, I found so much soulful rest during that time. And that was, it was just such a time that I just, I felt God's presence so, so near. And it gave me a lot of time to reflect on, on everything that had happened. And then this past summer, I started, started really having some more, I don't know, hormonal issues, which I, I feel like it's kind of a normal thing for me now. Like, Oh, something's all, something else is off again. Let's figure out what it is this time kind of thing. Nothing ever stays in balance for very long, it seems like. So I went back to a couple of different doctors to try to figure out what was going on and nothing was working. Nobody could figure it out. I was doing, you know, all the natural things I needed to do to try to balance things out that had worked before and nothing was working. And I was so I was miserable with hot flashes and night sweats. And I could not sleep for more than, I don't know, two hours a night, it seemed like the insomnia was just, it was just awful. So I finally found a doctor that did some very in depth testing and tested just about everything you can imagine. She said, you're in early menopause. She said it, she diagnosed me with primary ovarian insufficiency and said, you know, your, your body is shutting down. You know, that all of your baby making things are, you know, they're shutting down. We, we can't really do anything to pull you out of it. Would you like some birth control to try to, you know, balance hormones? And I filled that prescription. And again, I just, I was like, I, I just don't want to, I don't want to do it. And I know for some women, they found, maybe some relief in that, but birth control, hormonal, anything has always just messed me up so bad that I was terrified to even touch it. So again, into the trash can it went. And um, Casey and I just started thanking God for giving us three babies, you know, before my body decided to shut down. And we gave away all of our baby things to other friends and people in the community. And it was, it was heart wrenching to give away all of our baby things and think, okay, we're done. And at the time I, I didn't really want to be pregnant again. That felt really daunting. And I didn't want to go through the darkness that I had just gotten out of again. So I just, if something was really unsettling to know that we were done and that wasn't our choice and so anyways, we gave away all of our baby things and I sobbed for a couple of days after that, that we were done. And then a week later is when I took a pregnancy test. And, and it was one of those things, it was, it was just to rule it out one last time because I was feeling not so great again. And so I took it and put it in a drawer and walked away. And then a couple of days later, I realized, oh yeah, I took a test. I should probably look at that. Open the drawer up and there were two lines on the test. And I, I, yeah, (laughs) we did not expect that at all. And I remember calling my doctor and telling her, I just took a pregnancy test and it's positive. She said, I'm sorry, you what? I said, it's positive. What do I do? And she said, I, that was the last thing I ever expected you to say, but we need to come in and we need to find out what's actually happening. So they ran a bunch of tests and sure enough, 
little baby in there. <laughs> and that's our fourth one that we are expecting in May. And so far it's been, been a smooth pregnancy. We'll see um, see what the next months hold with our cross-country move to California and all the changes coming. But I we have just seen God work in some just amazing, amazing ways. And I I'm finding so much more peace and joy in this pregnancy than I've had with any other pregnancy. They've always been just so, so overcome with anxiety of losing a baby or something else going wrong or just something horrible happening has always kind of been in the back of my mind. And this is one that I'm really just at peace with. And just knowing God is in control is just such a, such an exhale moment (laughs) to just let go of trying to make things go a certain way and knowing that he already has a plan. And I, I can just hold on to that and just, just enjoy what he has for me. And that's kind of where we're at now. I think that is incredible. I I hope listeners hear that to just enjoy what, what he has for you. We very rarely have any idea what tomorrow is going to bring. And (laughs) right. So he's got a good plan. Most likely, it doesn't look like the plan you had written for your own life, no. but it's it's still his perfect plan, and you can yeah. enjoy it. And that there's there's nothing, in my opinion, there's nothing more freeing than that surrender when you get to that place of just surrendering to God, and and really just trusting, like okay, yeah. you've got this, you've got my life, you've got you've got all of it. Yeah. Yeah. So for the women who have been listening, as we're kind of wrapping up here, the women who so get it, (laughs) they identify with your story. They've been there. They are struggling through maybe their complicated pregnancies or infertility or miscarriage or loss or just how am I building my family and when and and the depression mm-hmm. and the anxiety, like just so many of those things that happen at the same time. Yeah. If you had, you know, a minute just to to give those women a little bit of encouragement, what would you say to them? I would just want to tell her that your story may not look like anybody else's story that you've heard or that you've seen, but that doesn't make your story a bad story. It it makes it yours. And one that Christ has written for you out of love for you. And God's good. <laughs> this world is not. And sometimes it's just, it, it's difficult. We're going to go through difficult things, but God is right there. And just like we've said throughout my story is he, he does not leave us or forsake us and his plans are good and he is in control and we can, we can breathe and um, just rest in his knowledge and wisdom and know that we don't have to have all the answers right now and we may not ever have all the answers, but he's got us in the palm of his hand. Earlier in the episode, you mentioned the song, not for a moment. Those lyrics are so powerful, and and we've really talked about that message that you are never forsaken. Not for one single moment are you forsaken. 
And we have a, a pretty special treat because Leslie Page, who was a speaker on this podcast, in fact, her story as of this point is the only one that was a two-parter. There was just so much to her life story. She shared in episodes 19 and 20. If you listened to those episodes, you heard her voice and know what an incredible musician she is. And so we asked Leslie if she would sing this song that meant so much to your journey, Melanie. And we really want to share, we really want to share the message of this song with all of our listeners. So here's Leslie Page with Not For A Moment.
every tear, every cry, every prayer in my heart, in my worst, when my world falls down, not for a moment will you forsake me, not for a moment will you forsake me. Leslie, you are amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your voice with us again. And listeners, if you haven't heard Leslie's story yet, I highly encourage you to go back to episodes 19 and 20 and hear how God worked in her life. Much like in Melanie's story, God proved to Leslie that he is so much bigger than statistics. In closing, Melanie, I'd love to ask you to pray for those women. They're they're just struggling. They're in the darkness, whether that's with growing their family or something completely different, but just not, not feeling God's presence, that you would just pray Mm -hmm. for them, reminding them that they are not forsaken. Yeah, absolutely. God, I thank you. Thank you for this ministry. I thank you for this podcast and all the women that are boldly sharing their stories and sharing what you have done in their lives. God, we know that you are good. We know that your plans for us are good. But sometimes we get lost in the darkness, Lord. And I pray for that that mom, that woman right now that just feels so, so alone and so lost in that darkness, Lord. I pray that your light would shine through that darkness. And I pray for people to surround her and just love on her and point her back to you and your truth. And your truth is that you will never leave us or forsake us. And that you are the everlasting light in whatever darkness happens in this life. And God, I pray for these women to cling, cling to you first and foremost, Lord, and to know that they are not a mistake and nothing in their life is, um, it's nothing is unredeemable, Lord. You are the great redeemer. You are the savior and Lord, you are right there with her and just remind her of that, Lord, through through beautiful music, through the truth of your word, through friendships, through podcasts, Lord, um, just shine, shine a light in their darkness, Lord. And we thank you so much for Christ's blood that covers us and for your hand that's always reaching into the dark, Lord. It's in your name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Thank you again so much, Melanie. I know you have so much on your plate right now. You have three little ones and a fourth on the way, and you're getting ready to move across the country. Yeah. And you still took time <laughs> to share your life story with us. So oh, thank I you. It was good. So appreciate it. And, and Emily, Cousin Emily, thank you so much for introducing us. You can keep sending more friends our way. Them. <laughs> She's awesome. got some good ones. <laughs> she does. I know. I, I messaged her and she was like, oh, girl, I have so many. <laughs> and within within hours, I now have all these ladies that are going to be on, on the podcast. Thanks oh, that's awesome. <laughs> thank you again. I'm honored. <laughs> thank you for having me. <laughs> we love it so much. So thank you again, Melanie. And thank you, ladies, for listening. As always, we hope you are blessed, encouraged, and impacted in some way by this story and we hope you join us for our next story. Good night, y'all.
the Story Night Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Mac. For more women's stories, visit calvarymac.com slash women.